I've worked with people who've dealt with anxiety and depression their whole life, and the thing that quote unquote cured them was actually extending their care beyond themselves. Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Radically Loved. And I am joined by a very special guest today. And this is actually my first interview back since being uh, not fully 100% from getting COVID. So some of you, you guys are all probably listening listening to this weeks after, um, which is totally fine. But I'm very excited for today's guest because she has not only been one of my teachers from way back, I'm like not way, way back, but pretty way back. And uh, I'm just so excited about her new book. It really actually helped me during uh, my time being sick and just the anxiety that we're experiencing in the world. So we have Hala Corey on the show today. Thanks, Hala, for being on. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So Hala has been teaching uh, yoga and movement for over 25 years. She's been doing clinical work and trainings for over 15 years. And you, your background, I mean, you have such an incredible story. First, first of all, I mean, I remember when I first took your class or I took a workshop with you like back in 2000, I think this was like 2009. So I took a, a, a workshop with you and I just remember being so inspired by your story and your background and the fact that you had you basically the the basis of your work has been uh dealing with teaching people with trauma or teaching people that have had stress or anxiety and it all stemming from your own personal experience with it so uh you have a book that just came out it's called peace from anxiety get grounded, re, uh, build resilience, and stay connected amidst the chaos. And it's right here. And um, obviously, I'm going to let you talk now because I'll just keep talking about how amazing you are. Oh, you're so sweet. I'm so glad that the book was supportive when you were sick. I definitely had supported a few friends who got COVID or got sick to, you know, be like, you know, is it that I can't breathe or am I anxious? You know, like, well, let's see if we can help you make that distinction, right? And I had a friend who was in the hospital with COVID and she's also a somatic experiencing practitioner. And she was like, we were texting. She's like, I just did the grounding and I watched my oxygen levels go up. Like it was really interesting for her to be actually tracking some of her vitals while she was using these tools. And I was like, Oh, this is super cool. Wow. Yes. Uh, 100%. I mean, I would, I would say the same. I mean, I've been using the grounding techniques that you taught me from back then, you know, even now, even before I do a podcast, you know, like it, it's been something so helpful. And it's so interesting that you talk about 
you know, our internal GPS in the book and we talk about really understanding that within ourselves. And I think that was one of the things that really helped me get through, even though I still had anxiety, I still was get, would get those bouts of wait, but is it really just my breathing or am I is something wrong, you know? And so yeah. being able to get the direct feedback from an oximeter or something that's the, the, whatever's mm-hmm. reading the oxygen in your blood and your breathing and all of those things, like it, it does make such a huge difference to be able to discern that. So I, I'd love for you to just, first of all, like what inspired you to write this book and what, what part of the book have you found to be most helpful? I mean, the whole thing, right? But what have you found to be the most prevalent tool that you've been telling people to use? Hmm. You know, I got, ins- I always knew this book was inside of me. Um, a lot of my students and clients were asking me like, make this information more widely available. We don't want it to just be for people who get to a workshop or come do therapy with me. So I always like, the book was like inside of me for a while. And when the publisher Shambhala came to me and said, we want you to write a book on anxiety. I was like, of course you do. Like, I'm so ready to write this book. So writing the book was actually, you know, people often say like, oh my God, was it so hard? I'm like, no, like it it was a really pretty seamless experience. Um, But, you know, because you know, I often joke that the book is like every smart thing I've ever said. And like, now I'm done. Like it's all in one place. But, you know, it's interesting when you ask about like what part has been the most potent for people, because I feel like the book has three really different parts. And I think it really depends on what's been missing for people. So the first part is very much physiological, grounding techniques, self-regulation, understanding our nervous system. And I would say that's the one that is often easiest for people to grasp and has the most immediate impact. Like you said, we can ground when we're nervous. We can use these when we're sick to distinguish, is this anxiety or is this a symptom? Or how do I settle myself so that I'm not so afraid of what I'm feeling? Those are really immediate tools. And and I would say that those are often like kind of what you said, the thing people remember, they implement, and you can just do them all the time. My kids use these tools. I find that people from all life experiences and walks of life feel a sense of like, oh my God, my breath has been there all the time. This seems so obvious. Why didn't I just do this before? So there's a naturalness to the part that's about our physiology. Uh, The second part of the book is about relationship. This idea that like, we actually can't be well alone. Like you can do all the breathing and the meditation, eat all your health food, right? And that's good. We absolutely need the the tool of our body and our nervous system to be running smoothly. But if we're isolated, we feel alone, we feel like we have to do everything by ourselves, that's a really important missing piece. So that's not something you can just do right away. That's something that like I'm still working on, prioritizing relationships, asking for help, letting myself need other people. And then the third part is about the global heart is what I call it, is feeling like we're part of contributing towards a better world for everybody. That sense of making meaning, that sense of taking accountability. For some people, that's the missing piece. Some people are like, 
Physical tools, check, right? I have my nervous system, check. Relationships, check. But something else, I'm still anxious. What is it, right? So I really, you know, I, I, I say in the book, like you can read it in any order because for some people, their work is on the interpersonal and others is about this like larger feeling of purpose and meaning that we all need. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. I love that you're talking about the interpersonal relationship bit, especially right now in a time where I feel like there's so much more division happening, so much more judgment happening in the world. And it's so hard for people to even empathize with other people. So what what has been your experience with observing that in the moment, especially on social media? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, when, when we're in a stressed response, when we're, when we're stressed and our body is in like a fight or flight or shutdown mode, our thinking is gonna be very binary, good or bad, us and them, right and wrong. It's really hard to have nuance when we are in a high stress state. So in many ways, it makes total sense. We're in a global pandemic. People are stressed out and scared. And so separation can be that reaction to that stress. Um, Social media, where relationships are disembodied, where we're able to just sort of see the caricature of a person makes it worse. And social media, where algorithms are delivering to us information in a way that only reinforces our own bias and amplifies the difference between us and other people. So all of this is like this perfect storm to this state of such massive, massive division and intolerance for difference. And, you know, I have to work on this. You know, I don't feel like I'm great at this either. You know, I definitely can fall into that binary especially when my, when I feel like lives are at stake, you know, we were just talking about vaccinations and it's like, all right, people who are like, don't want to get vaccinated. I have a physical stress response to people who like, don't believe in the vaccines. And I'm like, all right, look at me, like perpetuating that in my own nervous system. Mm. You know, I don't vaccinate my, they were born. I definitely was not until I got educated. I have to remember that we all have different levels of access to information and education. Um, But, you know, it's life or death. So I'm like, ah, they're anti-vax. They're stupid, right? Versus, huh, tell me more about what you're afraid of. So the division is real. And um, I think all of us working on our own personal self-regulation can help, help us not perpetuate it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I think if we're in that, it makes so much sense to be in that state of stress. It makes you feel more like you want to know if this person's on your side or if they're not on your side. It, it, it It's such an intense uh, reaction where, yeah, we want to separate from what's not going to be part of our path to, you know, getting well or the, what we believe. And I think that that's such a dangerous place to be it's it's similar to this thing that i've i've talked about it before and i i hear it all the time that people that are unhappy have a harder time to forgive because they're not in a good place right so i would imagine that this is similar to that right yeah that's interesting yeah yeah it's it's too scary to forgive right and also people that are really unhappy tend to be more centered on themselves and their unhappiness because there's a hypervigilance of trying to figure out how to be happy. 
that's why like the section of the book that's about like actually supporting others. I've worked with people who've dealt with anxiety and depression their whole life. And the thing that quote unquote cured them was actually extending their care beyond themselves, making it about something bigger than themselves. And I, I, I feel like, and I say this in the book that like, I think what our planet needs is for us to transform our stress response from, from a fight or flight to a tend and befriend. You know, tend and befriend is about when we extend ourselves to care for others when we're stressed. Um, not at our own expense, right? This is not necessarily about that, but it's about seeing that our well-being is bound. And for me, the coronavirus is like a literal, like literalizing this idea that until everybody is well, nobody can be well. Like yeah. it's literally true. Um, and you know, I vaccinated myself and my child, not for me. We're all, we all would probably be okay. We did it for others. And I, I would risk my life for others. And to me, this, this virus has asked me to like, to really like live my values, mm. live my values of, yeah, maybe I don't personally need it, but I would never want to pass it on to somebody who did or couldn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It, I mean, it, that goes hand in hand with the whole mask wearing thing where people are resistant to wearing the mask. It's, yeah. it's all part of that. Um, yes. Don't get me started. Same, same, uh, energy I would say. Yeah. So, you know, what I was telling you before we actually started, I was having those same type of fears happen while I was sick, you know, especially when you're really vulnerable you start to think about all these things that could go wrong and, you know, why did I wait so long and all of these things that just start to happen. And regardless of all the tools, there's a moment in that stress and that high level of stress where all of the tools go out the window mm -hmm. where you're just like, none, none of the meditating, like none of my grounding tech, I did all the things, all of the hacks, you know, I, yeah. I held the ice cubes and I, put the salt in my mouth, you know, all the things that are like quick, yeah. <laughs> of anxiety quick. And none of it would help what was happening in my mind and in my body, right? Because I was so broken down. Mm -hmm. And so what, what would be your response to that? Like if, if I had called you or, or asked you, okay, what, how can I make this better? Like what would have been the, the way to go? You know, it would be twofold. So when, when we're not able to regulate our nervous system, sometimes we need somebody else to hold us. So like, if you would have called me, I would have said, I'm so glad you called me. I'm here with you, right? I would have invited you to rely on me and my support, right? This sort of extended nervous system mm -hmm. co-regulation to say, be where you are, but feel held by something bigger. Um, sometimes that bigger thing is another person with us. Sometimes it might be a spiritual belief we have or being in nature, right? It's, you know what, I can't do it for myself, but let me allow myself to be held. Mm -hmm. So something bigger than me can hold me. Um, and I think sometimes that's all folks have, right? The yeah. breath isn't going to work, but knowing you're not alone in your pain. You know, the Dalai Lama talks about this. He talks about um, connecting to the suffering of others intentionally and that makes us feel less alone in our suffering. Mm. And so that was the other piece is like allowing your heart to open, you know, like when you had COVID, how many millions of people also have COVID in the same moment and not from a place of 
opening up to that to be overwhelmed, but to feel yourself not alone in the suffering. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, thank you for sharing that. Uh, That's exactly what I was doing during that time. I had a couple other friends who had just gotten over it. And it's so interesting how everybody has a different reaction to it. Like everybody's going to have a different experience. You know, both Tori and I were sick together, my partner, and he had different symptoms than I did. And we kind of, we both got sick at the same time. I think I got sick before he did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was very hard to try and help each other when we're yeah. both feeling so bad and you just want that, that warm blanket, I call it that hug that, and yeah. obviously, and my mom was so stressed out because she just wants, she wants to be here and she wants to help. And it's like, please do not come anywhere near this house, totally. <laughs> like, you know, but it was being able to talk to my friend, those the friends that have gone, had gone through it. And yes, um, exactly what you're saying. Like it, it definitely did create that relief, even if it was moment by moment, minute by minute where I could just feel like I could breathe and come back into my body and remember, okay, like I am going to be okay. I'm doing my best. I've got great doctors, you know, like we, we can, we're going to get through this. And it definitely made me feel like I just wanted to help other people going through it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, wow. And again, like I'm saying it, it, this book couldn't come at a better time, (laughs) um, for you writing this, like you said, everything, every smart thing you've ever said, which you've said a lot of smart things throughout the years that you've been (laughs) teaching and doing. I know because I've been there. But now seeing this all together now, just as a, um, uh, as a, an inspired writer, seeing it all together, how does it feel for you to have all of these tools in one place? It, it feels amazing. It's still surreal. Cause you know, launching a book in the time of COVID where there's no like book release party, you know, I think like a couple people sent me a picture of the book on a shelf somewhere. I was like, oh, look, like it's actually, you know, <laughs> it's out. It's out. So there's, there's such a surreal feeling to it. I mean, I've been getting such amazing feedback and like, I just had a family member like send me a WhatsApp of like, oh my God, I do this too. And like, you write about this and, you know, it's, it's felt really, really good. Um, just like, you know, like an offering that I can make, something that can maybe be impactful to folks. And I think, you know, especially in this time when so many people are so anxious, my hope is that it, 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 is a, it becomes a tool to support folks. Um, and again, not in a way, you know, one of my big critiques about self-help books or even mental health is this overly individualistic paradigm of, well, you got to help yourself. And this book is not that. This book really gives permission, people permission to need each other, to feel broken, to not have to get it exactly right. You know, it's kind of like, sometimes I read parenting books and all they do is make me feel like a really terrible parent. Like they just, you know, and like sometimes self-help books can have that effect of like, oh my God, like I should be able to do all these things and feel good. And I feel like 
something that feels really different about this book is it really gives people permission to be human mm -hmm. and to not have to do it by themselves. And so I feel like I accomplished that, which feels really, really good. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love what you're saying. We have a lot of parents that listen to the podcast, um, a lot, lots of moms out there. And so I'm in the beginning, I think it was in the beginning, or maybe it was a chapter, I can't remember exactly, but where you're saying all the tools you have, like have a kid or two to to oh, yeah. see the illusion yeah. basically fall apart. Totally. You thought you had your shit together, have some kids. You know? yeah. Which I think is hilarious. You know, I think it's because it's so true. You know, I'm I'm sure that as I don't have kids, you know, but I can I can intuit how that can really show you yeah. all of all of your frailties. Well, oh my god, it's human. such a mirror. Good or bad, it's a mirror. Yeah. And how, how have you been dealing with all of the stuff that's going on in the world and parenting at the same time? I'm always curious with parents, like, what do you tell your kids about the things that are going on? Yeah, it's, you know, it's been tough. And, you know, I do feel like I've had an opportunity to give my kids some really important tools um, and have them, you know, we've been pretty lucky, you know, we've, we haven't been impacted as badly as so many people in the world have. So they understand how lucky we are, you know. Um, you know, my my younger son was definitely dealing with some pretty serious depression. You know, these, you know, I think in our family, luckily our issues have not been as much health related. It's been more like the kids missing these milestones, like yeah. class trips, dances, birthday parties, these things developmentally that allow them to feel feel themselves growing. Um, and so that's been something that they've been really grieving and, you know, just talking to them a lot about like holding both like how sad they are or scared while acknowledging all the ways that they are protected and have support. So I do notice that sometimes as a parent, I want to make all their bad feelings go away. Um, and then I, that's really doing them a disservice because my job is to teach them to, to acknowledge those difficult feelings, not run away from them while also acknowledging what also might be positive at the same time. So, you know, it's cool when I can hear, you know, my 11 year old say to me, like, my body feels really sad, but my mind knows that everything's gonna be okay, right? He's able to hold both for himself. And I feel like that's been like my main task as a parent is giving my kids that emotional literacy for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I remember when, you know, back, and you know when when I did my training with you, you and those boys were really little. Yeah. And and I remember there was something that you did at one point. Well, you always talked about self regulation and the importance of us being able to self regulate. But one of the things that always stayed with me, and I use it now with my nieces and nephews, was when they are in that heightened state. You know, to ask them to self regulate. What part of your body does feel good? You know, I remember you saying, and it stayed still uh, to this day. So can you explain that. to the listeners what I'm talking about since obviously. Yeah. So, you know, when we're feeling anxious, depressed, scared, you know, whatever it is, what tends to happen is we get hyper-focused on the negative feeling, right? Because it's scary or it's overwhelming. And so we're hyper-vigilant. We're just like, for me, anxiety is where I go. So I get hyper-focused on feeling anxiety in my chest and you know, or my son with his depression, he feels sad, then he worries he's going to get stuck in a loop of depression. And so 
sometimes we want to run away from those, right? Okay, I'm going to just watch Netflix or I'm going to have a glass of wine, right? We can try to numb, but once, once that wears off, you're back with the feeling. And so, or we can try to deny it, but we know that doesn't work. Right. So this idea is to allow yourself to notice what else is there, right? So my heart's racing, my throat is tight. I feel really anxious, but I can feel my feet on the floor and my hands feel good, right? So we try to build this capacity in our brains to hold both something that feels pleasant or supportive as well as what's uncomfortable. And for a lot of people, what happens then is what's uncomfortable starts to feel more manageable. Often we think the goal is to just feel good. Well, it's not a binary, right? Maybe the goal is to not be overwhelmed by our anxiety or to feel like we're bigger than our depression so that those things become just a part of who we are. We can actually include them, but we're able to focus on the good as well. And so it's about holding that complexity, right? Of what it means to be human. Um, and that's a lot of what I, you know, I'm like, oh, I have a chance to teach this to my kids. And it's amazing that, you know, I remember even when my youngest son was going to preschool, he was four. And he said, mom, I'm scared and excited. Like he could even hold that he was both. And I thought, oh my God, like, that's pretty cool that he can say that that young. Cause even many of us adults are like, I'm either scared or excited, but oh, I, I could be both and I can be anxious but not overwhelmed by that anxiety. And that's, that's even more powerful than going from anxious to fine. Cause that's still a binary that we can flip flop between. Yeah, no. And I love that you're saying that. How do we begin to discern that for the people that don't have the acuity to differentiate between the yeah. two, or do you think we all have the capacity to differentiate? I think we have to learn interoception, like interoception is our capacity to sense what's happening inside of us. And I think it, it can be taught. I don't think we all have it because we live in a really disembodied culture. It's not anything we've been taught since we were little, right? So most of us have to learn it. Um, but that, that doesn't, that's not, I mean, for some people that's really hard. Like if there's a lot of trauma and folks are just not in their bodies at all, it's a, it's a slower process. Um, but in general, we, we teach that, you know, it's what we, it's, it's teaching, it's teaching interoception is what we call it. Yeah, no, I really, I love that. I know that you, uh, had a lot of that trauma from your childhood, from, you know, how you grew up, you, uh, your, you and your family are from Lebanon and you came to the States. Um, I can't remember when you were really young three. still, you're three, um, and you know, but having that experience of civil war, mm -hmm. essentially, you know, um, could, could be extremely traumatic. And I know so many people have gone through a lot of trauma and I myself as well, growing up in East LA during the LA riots have also gone through that. So I think it's such an important thing to talk about, to learn that about yourself, especially when you've basically lived in fight, fight or flight yeah. from when you were a child, right? So um, is there, can you speak to that a little bit more for the people that maybe have gone through trauma from a young age and now are looking for the tools to mm -hmm. learn how to do that introspection that you're talking about? Yeah. I think that those of us that had these formative years with a lot of trauma, 
we don't know any different, right? We are just so used to being in a state of high alert or shut down. And we start to think that's just my personality or it's just how I am, right? And, and to actually unwind from it can be really scary. So I think first understanding that and having empathy of like, all right, I'm not gonna just go from being a highly anxious person to like a zen out person, right? That there's all these stages and I might never be the zen out person, but I can be a little more grounded in my life. So, um, you know, understanding that like, beginning to feel can be scary. And so often it's really good to have support, whether you're you know, in a yoga class that feels supportive or with a therapist that's supporting you that goes slow, get the support. And you start by trying to notice the good stuff, right? You don't go right into, and I spent years being like, let's go right to the trauma. Let's go right to my trauma. But I didn't even know how to be present with the good stuff. And I wanted to rush to be present with the bad stuff, right? And I see how for years I kind of kept myself in this like high anxiety cycle. Cause I was like, let's just hurry it up, you know? Yeah. Um, and to actually slow down was scary for me. <laughs> I'm going to kudos that because I feel the exact same way and it's taken a long time to learn that the slowdown is okay and that there's no danger yeah. slowing down. It's, yeah. this, it's not a race. I, I can my big thing and i told you earlier i'm I'm working on a book right now yeah so exciting. yay i'm like yay me too i'm nerve-sided nerve-sided but one of the things that i i talk about a lot is that emotion can't hit a moving target Mm -hmm. and so this whole idea of for me it was the constantly moving you know or just transferring one thing to another one thing to another it's like okay now, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to train for marathons. Now I'm going to start running. It's like, I kept putting my body through this really intense stress because I thought, no, this is good for me. This is better. Right. Right. Let's talk about mm-hmm. that dysfunction for a second. Oh my gosh. I know. Well, <laughs> you know, and I think we get used to moving at a particular pace, right? Yeah. It's comfortably, it's like comfortably uncomfortable. Yes. And like you said, the slowing down is so scary. Like I actually just decided I'm not going to go for my doctorate. I have two master's degree, was about to go to write a dissertation. And I'm like, why? Like I have two kids and COVID, like I'm trying to work. Like, why am I creating this whole other thing? And it was a really tough decision. Um, This is the first time I'm saying it publicly. So, um, but I'm like, you know, I don't have to do that right now. Like, why am I creating, you know, I have plenty of work. (laughs) Um, And that was really tough because I, like, I've never just like not done something I say I'm going to do on that level. And I had to, I had to be like, this is my ego. And this is also me being used to always like chasing time and being so busy. What do Mm -hmm. I have to prove? And I think it was Adrian Marie Brown who said like, why not strive to just be mediocre? Why do we all have to be so amazing? what? That's true. And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Level. Yeah. No, I do too. I think it's brilliant because I feel like that's one of the biggest rubs I have with social media. It's that you're just seeing people's highlight reels. You're just seeing the facade, this veneer of this life that may not even be true. And then you're it, the comparison is, is going directly into your own self-worth. So, yeah. and for what I've never, I've never left Instagram 
and I say this and I, I know it's like a love, not love relationship yeah. I have, but like I've never gotten off Instagram and felt, wow, I'm so inspired or wow, I'm so excited about my life. Hmm. Never, not once. Interesting. And so, I have to say, I have the opposite experience because I very much curate my Instagram. So I do not follow anybody who sends me a message that that way. I mean, not that I'm on it a lot, but like, I, it's interesting because I'm like, I have all this like body positivity stuff on Instagram and, and I'm like, oh, that's shaping my reality. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I like that. So, so the last, the last thing that I wanted to ask you about is, um, you know, the book talks a, a lot about resilience and I'm, I'm, and it's something that I, I wholeheartedly believe in. I think we all are so resilient already and that we have the capacity to be able to move through obstacles that we think are way bigger than they actually are. Um, but why, why choose that theme for your book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have like, um, not a, I think resilience is an amazing word when we define it in a particular way, because resilience can be like weaponized to use against, to be used against people as well. Mm. Um, I like the focus on resilience because it's not, it doesn't pathologize, right? If we overly focus on trauma or anxiety, right? We're focusing on the deficit or what's difficult versus building. And I like, what I like about the word resilience is it can imply things like recovering from adversity. But my definition that I love is that it's about allowing ourselves to be transformed by difficulty, that difficult things can transform us. Um, And having a feeling that we can like handle life, right? It's, It's not about happiness or feeling great all the time. But I mean, honestly, as somebody who can struggle with anxiety, when I feel like I can handle life, like everything else can become more available to me, like my joy, my presence, right? Um, so resilience is a word that has a little bit more nuance than some of the other words, like happy, healthy, good, you know? It's about feeling like you can handle life, like you can recover, like you can be transformed when you didn't handle something, but then you did. It's about asking for help and support. It's about our capacity to imagine things being better than they were and feel like we're living into that future. Mm-hmm. I just saw you take a deep breath. I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, oh, it's just speaking, yeah. it's speaking right into my heart. Yeah. And, you know, we're all living into some imagined future. And there's a definition of trauma that I appreciate that says trauma is a loss of imagination. And when we reclaim our capacity to imagine, then that gives us hope. And, you know, for me, you know, so much of my work is in social justice and I don't think I'm going to see many of the results in my lifetime, but I imagine that there's going to be results in the next few generations. And that keeps me going. That imagining. Mm. You're the best. You really are. I know we're, we're all supposed to strive to be just the best that we can be, but you really are amazing. So I want to thank you for doing this and for coming onto the show. I don't know why it took, it took me seven seasons to get you on. Maybe we're just waiting for the book to come out. This is perfect timing. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so before I, I ask you the final question, um, where can people go for more information and to get the book? 
Everything is on my website, which is my name, halakori.com, H-A-L-A-K-H-O-U-R-I. And so you can get the book, you can get the book club guide, all the workshops, DVDs, all the things are there. Yeah, and it she comes highly recommended as uh, somebody that I studied with and all of her all of her content is so incredibly valuable and rich and deep. So please do yourself a favor and uh, go check it out and please get this book. It's so good. Like I said, it really helped me while I was sick, just even reading it and feeling like I wasn't alone. I mean, truly. So if that's the accomplishment you wanted to achieve, you did it. I felt yeah. it. So thank you so much. Um, so so the final question is uh, why I created this podcast. I created this podcast because I wanted a place for people to go to, to feel supported, to feel inspired. And the whole idea is that we are radically loved by God, source, universe, whatever higher power you believe in, that the universe works for us and not against us and that we are all radically loved. So the final question to you is, how do you feel radically loved? Mm, I love that. Um, I mean, I feel, I feel radically loved so much of the time. I feel like I'm just surrounded by blessings and opportunities and support. Um, sometimes I, sometimes, yeah, I'm not going to get into an analysis of power and oppression right now and who has access to that stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but because I feel like everybody has access to that radical love. It's not just about having access to resources. And I would never want to imagine that somebody who lives a more marginalized life doesn't have access to that same amount of power, which they do. Um, I feel it every moment, especially in the supportive relationships around me. That's really the source for me right now. It's all the love and care that I have in my community and my family. I'm like, and I take a deep breath and take it. And thank you so much for all of the work that you do and for being here and for being part of our community. We, we love you so much and we really value all of your work and we're just so grateful to have had you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rosie. It's such a treat to talk to you. Yay. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this. So please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.